Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc slash soap. All right, I'm going to get going here. I'm going to start reading. But before I do that, let's pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word. So, Father, we just pray that this morning you would um, just reveal yourself to us through your Word. Father, that you would um, instruct us, that you would um, inspire us. Father, that your word would motivate us to live for you in a way that honors you, in a way that honors your people. So, Father, bless this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Leviticus 24. We're in the good stuff here. It's always the good stuff, right? So I'm going to read, um, starting at verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, command the Israelites to bring to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. Outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law in the tent of meeting, Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from morning till evening continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Um, the lamps on the pure gold the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. You'll notice there's a word being used continually, which is the word continually. So there's a, there's a few clues there. Verse 5, so in Leviticus 24, verse 5, take the finest flour and bake 12 loaves of bread using two-tenths of an ephah for each loaf. Arrange them in two stacks, six in each stack on the table of pure gold, before the Lord, by each stack, put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be a food offering presented to the Lord. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area because it is a most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. And we'll just we'll come back to that word perpetual in a little bit. Uh, the next section there is titled a blasphemer put to death. Now the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father went out among the Israelites and a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse, so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilomoth, the daughter of Debri the Danite. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head and then the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. 
whether foreigner or native born, when they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must take, must make restitution life for life. Anyone who injures his neighbor is to be injured in the same manner, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. You are, you are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. And then Moses spoke to the Israelites, and they took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him. The Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses. Well, it's quite a lot going on here. All right, so let's um, go back to the beginning. And I'm going to look at, let's make sure my notes are visible, which will be helpful. Okay, so I'm going to look at the first four verses um, where it's talking about you know, the olive oil for the lambs so that the lamps may burn continually. And um, so a few things we can notice here. So it says these lamps had to be constantly cared for, supplied with pure olive oil, right? So it needed this special oil. Their wicks had to be trimmed and these lamps um, had to be cared for so they burn continually. Now, the lampstands that they're talking about is one of the images that re represent Israel and the Jewish people. And the lampstand um, in the time of Jesus was captured by Roman soldiers when Jerusalem was destroyed. So there's a little bit of significance there, too. But I think the part that I want to really focus on here was from evening until morning before the Lord continually. So this lamp was continually burning. Um, God did not want his tabernacle, you know, where he resided, to be left in darkness. Now, the continual light that we see here in the tabernacle points to the coming Messiah, right? So Jesus never stopped being the light of the world. So that's John 8, 12. Uh, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let's look a little bit deeper into that. So as an application point here, uh, Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So in the same way as this light in the tabernacle was to shine continually, here we are called to be the light to the world, right? We are called to shine for him. Now, if you consider the lamps in the tabernacle, you know, the instruction was, you know, bring a clear oil of pressed olives. So bring the best oil. Just don't bring any kind of oil. Bring this clear oil. So these lamps needed the best fuel to shine, to shine brightly and to shine consistently. So in the same way, we as Christians, we need fuel, right? And so where does our fuel come from so that we can shine the light of Christ, right? So the first is what we're doing right now. It comes from the word of God, right? It comes from us being in community with each other, you know, 
holding each other accountable. Think of it as trimming, right? Sometimes we need a little tune-up. It might mean a, a smack in the head from my brother. I don't know. But sometimes we just need to be redirected. So we need each other in Christian community. And then, uh, of course, the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is that internal feel that God gives us, um, that voice that allows us to know his will, that voice that allows us to live by his word. So I guess the question is, why be the light of the world? Well, I think the first thing we need to remember is, you, know, you and I are created in the image of God. Therefore, as Christ followers, we are designed to be in fellowship with God and to share that light of Christ with others, right? That is the goal. Um, Proverbs 4.19 says, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So we are living in a world of wickedness and darkness. And I see in the chat there, right, we are called to be salt and light. And so, you know, I like to think of salt is a preservative, right? We are called to preserve, to um continue the tradition of following God and the faith. We are preservers of the faith. And then we have this light that we should not be hiding away that we want the world to see. So how can you be a light to the world? Well, what does the light do? The light pushes away the darkness, right? So we have to take the light of Christ to the dark places. You know, what are the dark places? Well, that's anywhere where Christ is not, right? So Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. So we are fulfilling a command to take the light of Christ into the world. So where do we go? But we have to go outside of our, our safe places, right? It means we don't hide our light because sometimes, let's face it, um, we value belonging. We might value belonging and acceptance by man more than our ability to take a risk, right? To step outside of our comfort zones, even in our workplaces. You know, we might, we might want to feel like we fit in rather than talk about the truths that the Bible has to offer, right? So sometimes it might mean taking a risk for God to shine that light. Okay, still with me? Doing okay, okay, so verses five through nine, here they're talking about taking the finest flour, bake 12 loaves of bread, and these loaves of bread were arranged in an orderly way on the showbread table, um, which stood opposite the lampstand, and these 12 um, loaves represent the 12 tribes of Israel at the time, right, in the tabernacle. And this bread was called a showbread, which literally means the face of, right? So the bread was associated with the presence of God. And then there's instruction there that says that they should, um, the exact words they use, eat it belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area. So there's a specific instruction 
And this eating of the bread was a mark of friendship and fellowship, right? So the 12 loaves spoke of the relationship um, that the people had with God. Now, in those days, it was a little more, um, uh, what's the word? It was very um, symbolic, right? Because you had this separation and only certain people going into the tabernacle, into certain places, you know, the Holy of Holies. But for us, you know, we have this same relationship that's offered to us. And there's a few words used in that passage where it says, um, because it is, a, this is in verse 9, because it is a most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offering, so that perpetual, and we see this word or similar words many times all the way through here where it's continual, perpetual. So God wants to be in this relationship with us. Um, God desires this perpetual, continual relationship with his people. Okay, we can go on a little bit here. Okay, so the other thing about this bread, um, it is made, it says, this bread is to be set out regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites. So there's a freshness there. This bread is done, is created or made time after time. And so God doesn't want this stale communion with us, but he wants this fresh relationship that's established daily, kind of like what we're doing right now um, as we go into his word. So there's this freshness of relationship that, that God wants to establish with us, his people. Uh, verses 10 through 12, now it gets a little more interesting, right? We have this blasphemer and... Um, they're very, the word's very specific in saying who this person is. So the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father. So think back in Egypt, we have Israelites and Egyptians. Obviously we have, so this man, half Egyptian, half Hebrew. So he was part of the mixed multitude. Okay, now, um, there's actually some interesting, I want to call it legend around this guy. Um, some scholars would like to believe that this was actually um, a guy that was related to, that he was potentially the son of the Egyptian who Moses killed, which is a very interesting thought. And uh, he's attempting to, pitch his tent right to be a part of this tribe you know one of these tribes um which he was connected to through his mother's side and so we're not sure exactly what happened in the situation but he blasphemed the name of the lord and this crime of blasphemy had uh, was considered very serious at the time well, it's still it's still a serious thing, right? And we have to remember that in the Egyptian culture, it was very common for Egyptians to curse their gods. And the root of the sin, as we connected to our God, the God of Israel, is that God is not a petty God as these Egyptians' God gods were, right? So there is a seriousness to this. Um, they put him in custody. 
until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. So we'll notice something else here that people didn't take justice into their own hands. They didn't know what to do. So they said, well, let's hold him until the will of the Lord is made clear. So we see this proper working, the proper working of justice, so that until they knew the mind of the Lord through Moses. Now, so this was not an angry mob just doing whatever they wanted. There was this idea of um, order in this whole thing. So now the reason the issue was unclear to them because this man was a foreigner and the laws of Israel were not necessarily applied to foreigners as well as Israelites at the time. So the question was, does this law apply in the same way um, against a foreigner? Um, so if we look back at like Exodus 23, 9, it says, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. So there's there's some warnings that they're unclear about. So they needed guidance. So they go to Moses and God commands execution by stoning. So... Of course, you know, stones are very plentiful, so it was a pretty easy thing to do. Um, but scholars are saying that something maybe that's maybe more important was that because it was stones, the community could participate in this execution of justice. So it was a strong warning and a way of saying that he didn't only sin against God, but he also sinned against the community of God. So this law applied to a foreigner, to everyone who was there. So um, it was a principle of justice and mercy, right? So two things. And the emphasis is upon the fact that those who enter the kingdom of God and enjoy its privileges must be governed by its laws, right? So we as sons and daughters in the kingdom of God are under uh, the lordship of Jesus, right? And we live according to his laws and tenets. So let's, um, let's do a little application here. So this is very interesting, right? So if you consider, even myself, right? I was a foreigner in this land at one point. I came into the USA on a visa, a work visa, but all the laws of the land and everything applied to me, and I had to live according to you know, the rules and regulations placed in front of me. And so uh, if we go back to Leviticus 19, so we're in 24, and about five chapters back in Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, it says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. That's pretty clear, right? 34, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as the native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. <laughs> it ends with, I am the Lord your God. So this is, this is God saying, let's treat each other the same. You know, everyone is welcome in the kingdom of God. And let's make sure we love others as we love ourselves. Now, right in the beginning, we were saying that we are to be the light of the world. 
right? So there are many who are not in the kingdom of God, and we should recognize that those who don't know the truth will probably not act in a way that we necessarily agree with, right? Because they're ignorant. They don't know God's ways. And we always say in the church world that people act peoply, right? Sheep act like sheep. And those who don't know the truth are probably not going to conform to what God's word says because they live in ignorance. So a couple of things here. We should seek to be in a relationship with those who need to hear the truth, right? And what does your world of foreigners look like? And I'm using that word uh, foreigners in a metaphorical way. You know, who are those who are not in the kingdom of God? So who are the Egyptians around us? You know, who are the people that um, just don't know? who God is and need to be introduced to him. So, um, you know, in my job, I'm around Christian people, um, you know, a lot of the time, like you guys are people that we spend a lot of time with. So for me, I have to be pretty proactive about how do I find God's people? We need to know the truth, right? So for me, one of those ways is I belong to a gym. So that's a place which is like a second mission field to me where I can meet people who are not church people, right? So those are my foreigners to the kingdom of God. Um, it might be a workplace. We mentioned earlier that, you know, sometimes we value our acceptance and our fitting in um, to be more valuable than actually taking a step of obedience or taking a risk to actually talk about the things that matter to us. Or maybe you get asked a question, you know, why don't you curse? <laughs> you know, why don't you do this? And so be ready to speak about those things in your faith. And we have to recognize that people act peoply. I said that before, right? And the question is, do we have the same compassion and mercy for them that Christ has for them, right? So we need to think, um, look through the lens of Christ to go, you know, Christ loved everyone, therefore I need to have that same, same kind of mercy and compassion for them. So are you allowing the light of Jesus to shine on them? Make sense? Okay, so let me move on. Um, I'm just going to mention this really quickly, verse 15, 16. Um, so just uh, something interesting about the Jewish faith and um, specifically in the Jewish um, tradition, you know, to avoid blasphemy, um, they would go to great lengths to avoid what was considered blasphemy. So you will notice in some like Jewish writings, uh, they will often write G-D. They wouldn't actually write the word God. Um, they would they would be careful how they pronounce like the word Yahweh, and they actually used the wrong word for generations because they were afraid to say um, the name of God because they were afraid that they would blaspheme the name of God. So, you know, fortunately, we don't live... Um, under that same tradition, but it's just very interesting that observant Jewish people um, 
often would even write the word Adonai, which means Lord instead of Yahweh. So you know, they would write G-D. So just some interesting um, observations on how people would avoid blasphemy. And, you know, blasphemy is really just speaking against God, um, cursing God, speaking against God's ways. Yeah, it's not a very hard thing to do. It's, you know, we can we can do that. Um, you know, it's quite easy to make that mistake. Now, once we get to verse 17, um, 18, we start again into another interesting section where it talks about anyone who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. But anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution life for life. So first thing we notice here that there's a difference between humans and animals. Right? Human life has a much greater cost than animal life. And um, let me just scroll down a little bit here. So there, in the context of like the, the penalty for the blasphemer, there was a very specific justice. And basically what, what it's saying is that crimes must be punished, but in proportion um, to the crime, okay? So there is punishment. And if you remember, um, uh, was it Romans 6 where it says the wages of sin is death? So even for all of us, there is a punishment for sin, you know, crime, if you want to call it that. Um, okay, now it goes on to say uh, fracture for fracture, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That sounds pretty harsh, right? So if something happens to me um, now, years where it gets a little, it could get confusing. God intended this as a limit so that no man or judge would set judgment merely as they wanted to, right? So the law did not mean that the eye of an offender would be literally gouged out uh, of the head of another man if he took someone's eye, right? So if we go back to uh, Exodus 21, 26 says, Specifically, an owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to comp compensate for the eye. So an eye for an eye means there is a limit, but we have to make compensation, right? So human nature is often too lenient or too severe. So God requires that crimes be punished, but he sets appropriate limits on that punishment. Um, let's go to the person of Jesus, and he says, uh, well, Jesus rightly condemned the taking of this command regarding law and order in the community and applying it to personal relationships where love, forgiveness, and going the extra mile are to be the rule and not equal retribution. So let's jump over to Matthew 38. Okay, so Matthew 38 of not 38, Matthew 5, verse 38 through 42, which is entitled An Eye for an Eye, says this. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, um, hand over your coat as well. 
if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Uh, the next section there is called Love for Enemies. You have heard you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's interesting, right? Um, if you love those who love you, what reward would you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Yeah. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I think Jesus sets it out quite nicely of saying, you know what? What does an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth mean for us? As Christians, it means that we go the extra mile, right? It means that we don't we don't tolerate abuse, but we have to find ways to love our enemies and reach them. You know, it says even the tax collectors love those that love them, right? <laughs> and if you love your own people, what are you doing more than others? And do not even pagans do that. So therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so just going to scroll down a little bit. You know, in closing, um, God's word is true, accurate, unchanging. You know, there are consequences for not obeying God's word, but God's word does instruct us how to live correctly, to live justly, to live fairly. Um, if we live outside of God's word, we suffer the consequences of that, right? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So for all of us, if we live outside of God's way, you know, there is a consequence for that. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I think we, you know, as we look, as we consider these verses today, you know, for me, my takeaways are God's calling me to the light of the world. He's calling us to, you know, to notice the foreigner, you know, those who don't know him, those who are not in the kingdom of God. He's teaching us about proper justice with limits, but ultimately, you know, wanting us to love our neighbor and to care for those, even for those who persecute us. And, and I know that can be really hard. Um, understanding that, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we're doing okay there, gang? All right, so... Thank you for being with us this morning. I'm going to pray and then you guys enjoy the rest of your day. So, Father, we just thank you that um, you give us your word that we can learn so much from looking back, um, even to the traditions and the uh, instructions given to uh, Moses as they cared for the tabernacle, as they um, created a system of justice for the people, as they learned how to um, do things your way and not just their way. And so, Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you have called us to be salt and light, Father, that we are called to bring the good news um, of the love of Christ and the hope that we have for eternity in you, Father, to all people. 
Father, I pray that you'd give us um, boldness to shine our lights in the dark places, whether that be in um, a workplace or in a family or wherever that is, Father, that you would allow us to be salt and light. Father, we pray that we would be people of justice, uh, people who understand your word, people who understand that we were all foreigners once until you invited us into the kingdom of God. So, Father, would you teach us how to love our neighbors? Would you teach us how to go the extra mile? Father, would you teach us how to love as you love? So, Father, we thank you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for that love that surrounds us, that is with us every moment of the day. We commit ourselves to you, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.